Well, it's good to have you all here again. You all ready for a good old-fashioned hymn sing again? Pull out the books out from under your chairs and uh, feel free to uh, pick a song, sing along. And also through this time, let's uh, you feel free to share any of your uh, prayer requests, your testimonies, anything that uh, you have on your heart. Feel free to share. And when you pick songs, uh, if you can, if you want to, feel free to share what you like about that song. Feel free to share why it is a blessing to you and what that song means to you. You want to start us off, Heidi? All right, we're going to start with number 284. And then after that, we're going to open it up to all your selections. Rejoice, the Lord is King. What are your selections this morning? Five All that we have, he's all that we need.
Number 538, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. That was 582, correct? 582, my faith has found a resting place.
I think we all know this one quite well. 852, when the roll was called up yonder.
number 851. Prayer requests are always in need of prayer, right? Praise him, praise him.
Number of you know the story behind that song? Bill does? It's written by a man named Horatio Spafford and uh, he was a contemporary of D.L. Moody and in 1873 he was they were going to go uh, to England, they were in America, going to go to England, and Spafford was uh, taking part in uh, some of uh, D.L. Moody's preaching campaigns, doing some music for him, and so he sent his wife and daughters to England ahead of him, 
and uh, in their voyage the ship was struck by another vessel and ended up sinking 200 plus people died including two of uh, Spafford's daughters um, but his wife was spared and so Spafford he received a telegram about this and and uh, as soon as he could left for England himself on another ship and he came out to the spot near where that ship is sunk and his daughters had lost their lives and that is uh, when and where he penned this song it is well with my soul and just a, an incredible testimony in, in a time of difficulty and trial that in spite of losing his two daughters and having this tragedy that he could say it is well with my soul and that's, that's just an amazing story of, of the grace of God in, in somebody's life in the midst of, of unimaginable tragedy to simply be able to say it is well with my soul and it's the testimony it's the testimony I want to have and I think it's the testimony that, that the Lord wants each one of us to have any other selections testimonies prayer requests Yeah, that's the that's the melody that we know. Seek ye first.
Michelle? Right, and, and uh, you know, we're being given plenty of opportunities in this country right now to, to pray and to, to really seek God to intervene in, in uh, situations like that. And, you know, for really most of my life, all of my life, you know, you, we pray for situations like that elsewhere third world countries somewhere else for the most part it hasn't hit that close to home but it is happening in a lot of places things like that and I think the Lord wants us to uh, to give us the opportunity to be faithful in these situations Phil would you take a moment and lead us in prayer for that yes father Together we come as your children. Lord, you told us to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in our time of need. And Lord, you know the need in our country. You know the need, Lord, in the world. You see things as they really are. You look upon the hearts of men. That's how things really are. So Father, as you look upon each of our hearts, as you look upon the hearts of these dear people who are more passionate for the things that they think are right or think are wrong. 
I pray, Lord, first of all, you would come with mercy. You would come, Lord Jesus, with that mercy that every one of us so desperately need from you, our loving Heavenly Father. And you would come also, Lord, with grace and truth. Lord, you have been a, a, a God who has preserved truth and given grace to mankind throughout all the ages, ever since you have created us. And I pray, Lord, that you would again come in our generation to this country and across the world with that grace, your divine heavenly influence over our lives and your truth, the truth of your word. Lord, that you would come through your people, through raising up men and women to, to share your word boldly, but also, Lord Jesus, come with your presence. When these people, when we lay down at night in the stillness and the quietness of our life, there I pray you would speak through your Holy Spirit, your words of truth and grace. And redeem us in your mercy. Redeem us, Lord, from destroying ourselves and from, from the hand of the devil, of the prince of the power of this world who would like to bring all of us into the destruction that he himself has been brought into and where he's going. Lord Jesus, I pray that you, as the great Redeemer and High Priest of mankind, you who make intercession for all of us, that you, Lord Jesus, again, would come with a strong and mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit with grace and truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Any other selections? Number 200. since I've sung this song. See if I can remember how it all goes.
anything else here? Two eighty-four. Number two hundred eighty-four. I forgot about it, but I guess we did. Savior, he's going before us. Amen.
We close it there. Jason, it looks like you're intently looking at something. Did you have another selection? <laughs> Go for it. 570. Are you ready to sing bass on this one? Bass leads out in the chorus. I'll, I'll switch to bass as well in the, in the chorus. Ty, you can turn me down just a little bit so bass isn't overwhelming it. I'll let you take the lead on that, Heidi and Katie.
song, one that I haven't sung for a long time either. We used to sing that all the time as a kid. Paul, it was good to hear your bass voice again. <laughs> all right, I think that's going to wrap it up for us for the singing portion. Thank you, Heidi, for playing the piano again. For a few announcements before we uh, go on with the rest of the service, pretty much our normal things. If uh, you want or need a mask or hand sanitizer, we have those back on our uh, information table in the back. Also Bibles and some other books back there. Please help yourself to any of that. There's... uh, tea and coffee and water back in the foyer there. Help yourself to that as well. And after the uh, service, there'll be a noon meal. You all are welcome to stay for that. There's plenty of food. You're in for a treat. My wife did the cooking for the hot dish, so it's going to be incredible. (laughs) Uh, Trust me, it's going to be good, and there's plenty of it. So uh, please stay and, and be a part of that fellowship as well. Any other announcements? Ladies meeting this week, right, Katie? Ladies meeting here at 7 o'clock Wednesday evening. So, uh, ladies, feel free to come and participate in that. Any other announcements that we need to make? Anything I missed? All right, well, before Phil comes, let's uh, pause for a minute to pray. Thank you, Father, for this time that you have blessed us with, this day that we can come together and worship you, praise you. I pray, Father, that you would meet with us here and that you would speak to us through your word. I thank you for the songs songs that we were able to sing and the blessing they are and the truths of those words. I pray that they would stick with us through the week as well. I pray for Phil as he speaks. Father, I pray that you would anoint his lips and that he would speak the words that you have for him and that we would all be strengthened and edified by what we hear today. I pray that you would bless our fellowship today and that it would be uplifting to each one of us. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. It seems really loud. Can we turn it down a little bit? Okay, good. In case I scare you like that, I get excited. Let's just take a moment to, um, to pray, to come before the Lord uh, in prayer and ask him to take his word and make it food for our souls. We could read it this morning, and I can share thoughts about it with each of you, and it would be like you came to a class at a Christian college, and I'm just a professor giving you a, another Bible lesson. 
But I think Jesus wants more than that to happen to you and I as we read his word this morning. I think he wants to speak words that, as he said, are spirit and are life. That means they connect this written word connects with my inner man, my spirit. And it begins to fellowship with these words, with God, and bring eternal life to you and I this week. These words turn into flesh and blood. That means this body hears these words in our inner man and does them this week. In obedience, acts out on that. In John chapter 1, it tells us the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld and we seen the only begotten of the Father, the Son of God. That's what Jesus wants to do with this word that you and I read this morning, hear, Jesus wants us to take this word and turn it into flesh and blood where your body hears these words of eternal life and it becomes an action that you and I do this week that we wouldn't have done if we would not have heard because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, hear your words spoken into our hearts, that you, through your own zeal, your own desire, strong desire towards every one of us here and all your children in the world, you have a strong desire to live out your life in us Every day. And I pray you through this word you speak to us this morning would accomplish that. That you have. That you want to live out in each of our lives this week. In Jesus name. Amen. You may turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 2. The gospel of John chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 13. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Can someone tell me, what was the Passover? What were they celebrating? Anyone? Yes. Was the Passover something important for the Jews? What do you think? Yes. Why was it so important? Besides what David said, it's when the death angel passed over every house in Egypt. And he had a sword and a commission from God to kill every firstborn in every house. The oldest person of every household. What happened to the Jews that night who obeyed the words of the Lord? What happened to them? Someone tell me. Did the firstborn die? No. Why didn't they die? 
What had God said that not only the Jews could do, but anyone in Egypt that night who did this, their firstborn would not die. What were they to do? Someone tell me. Lel? I thought you were saying something. Yes, they were to take a lamb, a perfect lamb out of their flock, and take its blood and put it over the top of the door and down the side trims of the door. And as the angel that night walked through Egypt, whenever he saw the blood on the door, he would pass by that house and he wouldn't kill the firstborn. This, what they called the Passover, the angel passed over that house that night was a very important celebration for the Jews. It was a matter of life and death. It was the night the angel of death passed over them because he seen the blood over the door of their house. My dear brothers and sisters, that Passover is still to be celebrated by every person Who puts their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. And that blood, because of His blood being shed, your, my faith in that finished work of the cross puts that blood over the doorpost of my life, of my heart, of my mind. Every thought that comes in and out of that door of my mind, the blood is over the doorpost. And I escape eternal death. Not only for all eternity, but today I escape the angel of death because of the blood of Jesus Christ and my faith that He paid the debt of death that I owe that day. And if the blood is not over your life, if your faith is not in Jesus' blood and His work on the cross, you experience spiritual death. You will. Today, you'll live a purposeless, a day in which the devil will rob you of every minute of the day. He'll destroy your Life today through attitudes of your heart, speculations and thoughts in your mind, through pride of what you may accomplish today, through your own selfish ambitions today, things you want to bring for yourself, through jealousy, through anger, through lust, desire for other things, all of the things that sin brings to us, the only way you and I get to escape that spiritual death of sin every day of our life is because of the finished work, the blood of Jesus Christ that our faith is put into every day. The just shall live by his faith. And if your faith is in anything else today when you got up this morning, and as you walk through this day and tomorrow and the rest of your life, 
The angel of death stands ready to rob you, to kill you, because spiritual death is a result of sin, and sin leads us to death. So the Passover was very important to the Jew, and it still is important to the Christian Jew, as Romans chapter 2 tells us. He that is a Jew is not one who is outward, the circumcision of the flesh. But he that is a real Jew is a Jew who has his heart circumcised. He is the Jew today, the child of God. God's chosen people are those who have been circumcised in their heart and who now are sought by God Chosen by God, loved by God, and who love Him in return. And the Passover is an important celebration. It's also not just putting our faith in God. It's an act of love towards you and I. It's you and I that do something. We obey and we give our best. If they would have put the blood of a goat that was, or a sheep that was spotted, or they would have went and looked for, you know, the, the lowest priced sheep in their flock that night and put that blood on the door. The angel of death would have met them that night. God said, choose the best that you have. And God still wants that from you and I. He asks us, for our very best. The first in our life. It also costs us something. Verse 14. And he found in the temple. Jesus comes to celebrate the Passover. They all came to the temple to do this. And he found in the temple. Those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves. And the money changers were seated there. Interesting. Jesus coming to the temple to celebrate this most important day of celebration in the Jewish culture. And what does he find? The temple is busy. The temple is busy of people making a lot of money. And Jesus, he made a whip. I wonder what he found as he came in the temple. Where did he find this? But somewhere he found something. A scourge. A whip. Of cords. And he drove them out of the temple. Wow. Have you met this Jesus? Has he met you? Have you experienced a Jesus with a whip? In your life? If you haven't, then you need to. All of us need to experience this Jesus. Not just the Jesus who says, Come unto me, all who are heavy laden and burdened down, and I will give you rest. But there's a way that Jesus gives people rest. And it's a jealous way. It's this way. Can you imagine how this temple found quiet rest in about an hour probably 
When Jesus made this whip and he chases out all these money changers and all the noise and he get out of here, get out of here, choo, choo, and he throws over the tables and they all running for their life. And then all of a sudden it's quiet in the temple. The atmosphere changed. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for thy house will consume me. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body when therefore he was raised from the dead his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast many believed in his name beholding his signs which he was doing but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now it seems that Jesus did this more than once, cleansed the temple. In Matthew chapter 21, I want to read this one also, because it gives a few more details. This was in the beginning, here John records this in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew records it toward the end of his ministry. He did it again. So I think it happened twice that Jesus did it. In the beginning of his ministry and toward the end of his ministry. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 21. And here, this uh, portion of scripture is recorded to us where Jesus is coming to Jerusalem not as he came in a baby, but here he comes as a king. Notice the context. He's going toward Jerusalem, and in verse 1, and when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me and if anyone says something to you you shall say the Lord has need of them immediately he will send them now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled saying say to the daughter of Zion behold your king not your savior this time your king Comes to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Now, it's interesting that the prophet used this description of the spirit that Jesus had as he was coming as king. He's a gentleman. 
Well, let's see what this gentleman did. Mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of the beast of a burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid them on their and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches off the trees and spreading them on the road. And multitudes, many people, going before him, and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna to the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the multitudes were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And where did Jesus go when he comes into Jerusalem? Directly to the temple. And Jesus entered the temple and he cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. They must have all come back. After Jesus did it the first time. Overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a robber's den. A robber's den. What were they doing that made the temple a robber's den? Who were they robbing? Were they robbing other people? I don't think so. They were robbing God. How were they robbing God? Because they took the temple that had been designated as a house of prayer and they made it a house of merchandise where people got rich, made a lot of money, in God's very temple. Now, I want to take you back and remind you of when Solomon first built the temple. Now, this wasn't that original temple. Parts of it were. But of the atmosphere that was happening when Solomon built the temple. You can read this back in Chronicles chapter 7. What happened? Do you remember the story? The temple was being built. Was, was there a lot of stones sold and bought and things going on and merchandise happening when, while the temple was being built? No. None of that. David had laid up all the money needed prior. So all Solomon did was put it together like a puzzle. In fact, it was so quiet That saws and chisels and hammers were not even to be heard anywhere. Everything was fitted quietly. All those rocks and wood cut and those rocks chiseled were happening way far away at another place. And it was all done so perfectly that when it came to the temple place, as they placed it, it fit quietly together. No noise. And when it was all done, Solomon made a prayer to God together with all of Israel. And what happened? God's very presence filled that temple. 
to the point where not even the priests could enter into it. They all backed out and no one could enter it. Only God was there. And everyone looked in awe and fell on their face and worshipped God. That was the atmosphere when the temple was built. But it had deteriorated into a house of merchandise over the years. And people began to see it as an opportunity of a marketplace. Because especially during the feast days, hundreds of thousands of people would gather together. And it was a great opportunity to sell your wares and make a lot of money for a good cause. You know, for the sacrifice. But it became a busy place. And God was robbed. People came and made their sacrifice. And probably never even worshipped God. In the quietness of their hearts. God's presence wasn't there until Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up, he was God. He is God. And the first thing God had to do as he walked into that temple, he could have no other idols. He wanted to restore that temple back to a place of worship, quietness, where God himself dwells. And that's what Jesus did. How does this apply to you and I today? Oh, it applies very much because of this truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There are two applications that we can read of this. That we can put into this. The first one I want to show you is the church. Today the body of Christ. What did Jesus say was the sign that he gave to them. That he had authority to do this. To cleanse the temple. What did he say? Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. It wasn't talking about a physical temple. Jesus had a greater, greater vision. A much long-term vision than just this temple. He had told the disciples not long before this, all of these stones, you see these? Not even one stone will be laid on top of another. It'll be so completely destroyed. But not the temple that Jesus was talking about. That temple is made without hands. And will never be destroyed. It's called the church. His body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is speaking to the church here in Corinth. And he's, the church had some problems. They, they were honoring men. And some wanted to honor Apollos. Because he was an eloquent Bible teacher. Others wanted to honor and follow Paul. And they said, we're, we're following Paul. Because he started the church here. And, and others were impressed with Peter. Because Peter was a, a dynamic personality. You know, he was one of the first apostles. And, and so they were impressed with Peter. And Paul tells them. In verse 5. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God causing, was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according 
to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. According to the grace that God was given to me, the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Now he continues to talk about each man's work in verse 14. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? He's speaking to the church. You are a temple of God. And that the spirit of God dwells in you. Did Jesus not say that? Yes, he did. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish That he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written. He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And indeed that's exactly what Jesus did. Right? All these people who were buying and selling. Thought they were pretty smart businessmen. They were wise. They took this great opportunity where all the Jews from all nations came together in the Passover to celebrate it. And they got rich that weekend. Very rich. It was a great opportunity to make a lot of money. My guess is it was a boom weekend. You know, kind of like we in America call Black Friday. There was a day right after Thanksgiving that the United States has kind of put together as the, the buying day of the year. And it's so much emphasis on that that many retailers selling their goods take that day and they make it like a mark. If you make money that day, you're a legitimate viable business. If you don't make money that day, you're probably not going to make it for the rest of the year. My guess is that's a bit what was going on here with these guys. It was the weekend to make a lot of money. Because God's people were coming together ready to shell it out, you know. That's the atmosphere that had been built up around this sacred, amazing celebration And it distracted God's people from God himself with the busyness of merchandise. But worse than that, it robbed God. And they were robbing themselves from this time being a time of drawing near to God in prayer and quietness of their hearts. And that's exactly Where you and I find ourselves in Christendom. Many, many places in Christianity. Church has become a place of merchandise. 
where pastors get rich because they collect money from poor people, from God's people. It becomes a day when a day that is set aside to worship God in the quietness of our hearts comes is set aside to collect money from God's people. And it becomes a place where God's people are distracted from true worship in the quietness of their hearts because there's much merchandise made. I think God wants to restore his people just like Jesus did the temple here. And for that to happen many times Jesus needs to come in as a true gentleman and clean the house of merchandise. And I believe that God is doing that across the world. The Holy Spirit is jealous over the church and he wants to bring us back to this place of true worship when the church gathers together just like at the first time that the Holy Spirit came down and made the first church on the earth in that upper room where the 120 were. Was there any begging for money? Was there any calling each other? Come, give your money to the Lord. Money wasn't even talked about. God had come. And you know what they were talking about? The great things that God has done for them. And out of those great things that God was doing because the Holy Spirit came, not only individually, but He came down over His people. Jesus was lifted up. Jesus was glorified. And yes, out of that, later, they began to sell their things and give to people and share their things with each other. But that wasn't the subject in the upper room. And it's so sad to me that churches so many times can easily turn into that. We come together, perhaps with a good motive, just like they may have in the temple But it becomes a house of merchandise. Our fellowship becomes those things we talk about is around money and business instead of around Jesus Christ and him crucified, the Passover. Let's talk about the great things God has done for us in coming together. Our fellowship should be centered around that. Jesus is jealous for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he tells us, he makes it personal. So that's the one aspect of it. God's people coming together, but it also is a personal experience that you and I will experience Jesus coming into my life, now my body, and cleansing my body from a house of merchandise. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He tells us in verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body, your body. Do you know this guys? Do you know this? Do you live like you know this? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have from God. And that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, what to do with my body? Therefore, glorify God with your body. Glorify God. That word glorify is also the same word of worship. Let this temple, my body, now become a temple of God's very presence. What it was very, it's very, it was created to be. It's very design was designed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look how Paul, Apostle Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 about this. This distraction called merchandise or busyness of life or making money for ourselves, taking advantage and robbing God of his very presence, the, the architect and the designer of your body and my body and of the church. We rob him when we don't use it for what it was designed for. And Paul's warning Timothy about this. He says in verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Teach and preach these principles. In verse, and he says, he warns them about others who suppose, in verse 5, that godliness is a means of gain. You see that? God's people gathering together, or me being a Christian... I use it as a means of wealth. And God has strongly warned me again as I was pondering this truth and looking at what Jesus, his, his zeal for the temple of God, this same gentleman Jesus, his zeal is so strong towards you and me, towards the church, that he makes a scourge of whip. That's right. He takes life events and he makes them a whip for you and I. He lets Monday or Tuesday whip us. When he sees this happening to us. When we begin to take my relationship with Jesus. And I call myself a Christian to try to take advantage of others and make money from it. Oh, I'm a Christian. You should give me a deal. Oh, I'm a pastor. I deserve a discount. No, I don't. Whoever said I did? Did God say I did? No. It says quite the opposite. That we are to give ourselves a living sacrifice to God. Holy and acceptable unto God. Therefore, brethren, I beg you. Romans 12, verse 1. I beg you, brothers and sisters, that you present your body a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable acts of service. Or I like how the, my translation says, it's your act of worship to God. But these people said, ah, it's a means of gain. Godliness can make me money. Boy, that's a sneaky one, brothers and sisters, because we live in a Christian culture. 
where this has happened to Christianity just like it happened to the Jews in Jesus' day. It became the norm. This is how things were done in the temple. And this is how things are done in Christianity all over the world. But God says, it's time to let Jesus in as king. And he will chase out the merchandise. This means of godliness, the mindsets, the thoughts that you can get rich off of God's people. Jesus wants to clean your temple from this thing. And he wants to clean the church from it as well. For we brought, verse 7, we brought, well, verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Wouldn't it be amazing if the world would look at a Christian and say, they must be a Christian. They're so content. the world, the ungodly people would recognize almost immediately when they do business with somebody or they get to know you, they would say, they must be Christians because they seem so content. Don't you think we lost it? Maybe we did. Maybe it's time to let Jesus come back as king and bring contentment our hearts as his children for we brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either and if we have food and covering with these we shall be content but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many listen to this foolish isn't that what we read in 1 Corinthians 3 that God takes the wise of this world and he makes it foolishness why is it so foolish because this snare fools us because we we gain all kinds of short very short only maybe for a moment some of it is confidence out of money money doesn't last long even if it lasts your lifetime, the moment you pass into eternity, you look back and you'll agree with the word of God. My life was just a, a vapor and then it was gone. And now all that means of gains and money is burned up. It happened to you just like God said it would. First Corinthians three, a man's work will be tried by fire. And if it burns up, it's all gone. There's nothing left. No treasures in heaven for you. None. You're penniless for all eternity. Really? Yeah, that's foolish. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. But we don't believe that. No, we don't. Many, many who say they are Christians, do not believe this. They are pursuing money every day of their life. That's the pursuit. That's the goal of that day, is to make money. Their thoughts are consumed with it. Their heart motive is in it. It's what they live for. For the love of money 
is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But you, child of God, run for your life. Have you run? That's what he said. But you flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. This fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. Notice, now you're in God's presence like Solomon and all of Israel were when God came down over the temple. Now you're in Jesus' presence when he walked into the temple and they watched him. The merchandise are all gone. The buyers and sellers are gone. You are there. I'm there. We're in his presence I charge you in the presence of God that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality, eternity, and dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's worship. That's worship. Every day. You and I. In this temple. Can experience this. That's what he's calling us to. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. So what to do? What to do with the money I make? Is it wrong to make money? No. It's not wrong to make money. What Jesus was dealing with was the obsession, the love for money. And what Jesus was dealing with was the means of Christianity to get rich. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up. Look what you're doing. If you are rich, if you take the money God gives you and you generously share it, you, are, you look to be rich in blessing others with it because you believe it is more blessed to give and to receive. That's where your faith is, Acts 20. So you do it. Look what you're actually doing. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Storing up treasures in heaven for your future. Eternal life itself. So what should we do? Just sit around and look at each other and talk about Jesus? No. God has put us on the earth to do something. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders there, 
He said, you know that these hands have worked hard. I'll read it to you. This word is always an encouraging word for me. And I'll share with you, this is the word the Lord gave me to strongly encourage me, even as the Lord gave me a commission to bless people, to pray with people, to encourage them with the word, to pastor or shepherd other people. This is still my job. Paul said as he was doing it, verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I have showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give and to receive. Paul said, I didn't take any money from you. I worked hard so that I could support myself and share with others. And many years ago, the Lord gave me that instruction. Phil, as you shepherd my people, you must provide for your own needs so that you can be an example of sharing, so that I get to obey the word in 1 Timothy chapter 6 as well. I also get to share freely what I earn. In Ephesians chapter 4, he gives us some motive for working. Listen to this, verse 28. Let him who steals steal no longer no more stealing guys no more robbing that's what they were doing in the temple no more robbing God's people or God so this is now what you should do rather let him work labor performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. I want that blessing. And I hope every one of you do too. That we're not robbing God's people anymore. But we all work with our hands. So that we have to give to others who are in need. The motive for working hard. Is not only self-sustaining. It's to share. To give to others. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul urges chapter 4, the church here in Thessalonica, to have one ambition in their work. Listen to these words. Verse 9. Now as to love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it Toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Not just in their church. In their region. In their community. But we urge you brethren. To excel still more. And to make it your ambition. To lead a quiet life. There it is. That word of worship. That every day. And this is how the Lord's been speaking to me. I shared with you this Psalm 131, that I would lead this quiet, restful life in him as I work. Because work and money can stress us out big time, right? 
Satan wants to create anxious hearts in God's people through money or the lack of it or the worry of it through anxiety and stress them out where they'll do foolish things like begin to pursue it instead of pursuing God. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, worshipful life, where my body presenting to him every day a living sacrifice of worship as I go about my daily business working hard. And attend to your own business. Do that while you're doing your business. Make this your ambition. And work with your hands. Just as we commanded you. This was not an option that Paul or the Holy Spirit gave to the Christians. No, it was a command of God. This needs to be your ambition, brother, sister. It's a command from the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus is coming in as king now. Cleansing the temple. Your body. My body. The church. And giving us this command to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, work with your own hands, just as we commanded you. Why? The goal is so that you may behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. That you may have a good testimony of a Christian to the world. Oh, would to God that Jesus would come in to each one of our hearts and minds again. Cleanse our temples, right? Well, guess what? There's a word in Isaiah. That's an amazing word. In Isaiah 37, you'll read the story. I'll finish with this story. Hezekiah, the king, got a letter from the Assyrian captain of the army. And he said, oh yeah, Hezekiah, I'm coming up to destroy you. Who do you think you are that you're going to withstand these hundreds of thousands of men equipped with swords? Don't put your faith in an empty God who can't save you. Hezekiah took the letter and he takes it. Where does he take it? He took it to the temple and he laid it before the Lord and he opened it. Just him and God. And he cried out to God, save me, save your people from this man's threat. And the Lord came with a word and he gave him a promise of life, of salvation. And at the end, he says this in verse 35, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. And for my servant David's sake. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Jesus' zeal. Not your and my passion. Not our zeal. But when Jesus comes to your temple, the body. Your body. To his body, the church. He has a zeal. His zeal is to clear the house of anxiety, of worry, of busyness of merchandise, and restore worship, true worship, a quiet heart, 
where he's glorified. And you and I are blessed. And out of that worship experience, we go out to do our daily life, blessing others, sharing. Like he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he became poor that he might make many rich. Are you willing to live that model in your life? You make those choices where you choose to work hard to bless others, to make others rich. Not only with money, with God's word. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word with us this morning. I was reminded of a story Ravi Zacharias used to tell. Um, can't remember if it happened to, to him. I think it might have been an acquaintance of his. That was uh, going through a fairly uh, prominent uh, Bible seminary. I think it was in Boston. And uh, in his training... He got to know another young man there, and he came to realize that this man going through the same training that he was going through to uh, be a pastor in a church was an atheist, didn't even believe in God. And he was confused. He said, I don't understand. Why are you, why are you sitting here in a Bible college? And his response was, well, there's big bucks in the God racket. True story. He was just choosing that as a profession, just like you might choose to go to medical school or, you know, become an engineer or an airline pilot or whatever. It was just a way to make money. And... We see people on, you know, most people aren't that uh, blatant about it, but there you can see those those attitudes in a lot of people. We see all over the place where it's, you know, it's more spiritual. If you have more money, you have your whole health and wealth gospel. But then I've experienced the the opposite of that too. About 20 years ago or so, for a short time, I was a part of a church that. Uh, that saw those dangers, saw those very things that uh, Phil was speaking about. Said, ah, we, we got to do something to combat this. We're not going to go down that path. And they said, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to live simply. We're going to drive old cars. And it almost you know, basically became a law. You know, you don't spend more than a couple thousand dollars on a car. And, and it got to the point where... The longer you can make your old car last, listen to this, Jamie, this one might uh, fit you. <laughs> the longer you can make your old car last, the more spiritual you were. So, <laughs> that wasn't true either, that's right. And well, if, if you make 50000 a year and you can live on twenty-five, you better give that other $25,000 away. None of those things were wrong in and of themselves. 
but it became a law. And I, I noticed, I don't know if I, if I ever really noticed it in this way before where Phil was reading in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know, talking about the uh, temptations of, of the rich and money being the root of all evil in uh, verse verses 9 and 10, I believe it was. And then he gives the antidote to that afterwards. He doesn't say, live as poor as you can. That's not the antidote to that. Not, not that it's necessarily wrong. He said, flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. That's what the antidote to that is. And so many times we see problems in Christianity or in the world, and we see how wrong that particular thing is, and we say, I'm going to go do the opposite. And while doing the opposite may not necessarily be wrong, that's not the recipe for success. That's not what God tells us to do. Are we pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love? I think that's what we heard from Phil. It's what we heard from the Lord this morning. Make that your priority. Not just simply doing it the opposite of what the world does. Not just simply doing it the opposite of what Christian, some Christian churches do. But follow that recipe that the Lord gives us. And that will be the success in your life. Thank you, Phil, for sharing that message. All right, that brings us to a close. I think our meal's probably ready or will be very shortly. So let's all stand and uh, we'll have a closing prayer and a blessing on the noon meal. Jason, would you like to lead some prayer, please? Amen. And you're dismissed.